This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for April 2nd, 2023. The title of the message is A Song of Resurrection. Well, we if you'd open your Bibles, we come now to to the reading and preaching of God's word this evening. If you turn with me to Psalm 30, I chose this psalm, um, you know, since we finished uh, 2 Timothy, take just a short little break from the pastoral epistles, and um, and and with with uh, being Palm Sunday uh, on the beginning um, Holy Week, the Passion, the week of Christ's Passion, I thought it would be uh, helpful and nice to um, go through Psalm 30, a psalm of thanksgiving that points us to uh, the death and resurrection of Christ, that, uh, that the Lord may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And uh, what greater example of that do we see than on Good Friday and uh, the morning uh, of Resurrection Sunday? So here now then, the reading of God's Holy Word, beginning in verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell you? Will it, will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this evening. How difficult is it for you to say thank you? Uh, It is something that is sometimes doesn't come to us naturally. Uh, We had to be taught by our parents. I remember growing up uh, receiving gifts. uh, Oh, and, and... you know, with, with me preparing to go to Korea, it, it just reminds me of the last time I went to Korea, that uh, I was um, my father's firstborn. Uh, the only members of my father's family uh, that lived in America, and so we would come, and I remember visiting family member after family member, right? Aunt and uncle and cousins and just so, so much. It was a, you know, Korea was a third world country for many years. And so we had a third world type of family. I mean, you know, my dad had 
uh, three three brothers and or two brothers and um, three sisters. My mom had, you know, I can't even I can't remember. It's like like five sisters and like two brothers, you know. So so it was a big family, and then everyone got married, and they all had kids. And I remember going from house to house among my family members, and they would just slip me money. <laughs> they would just be like, here, you know, just, oh, it's so great to see. They'd squeeze my cheese, you know, stuff my face with food, and then, oh, here. And they'd be like, like $100 equivalent. And, um, and I would just take it and put it in my pocket. And my mom would always give me a little pinch and be like, you know, don't forget to say thank you. And, and it, was to, it was to remind me. Uh, because it's it's a gift and it's something I ought to be grateful for, and uh, and just to just to, if if it's any clue that she had to pinch me a lot uh, because I never remembered, and I think we're all like that in some ways that uh, we like to think that we're grateful about everything, but we have to be reminded uh, of those um, uh, mercies that God gives to us, the grace and the gifts that we already have, rather than what we don't have or what we hope for so um and so we half of thanksgiving is remembering that truth that we've already received wonderful gifts from god and so uh, rather than crying over what we don't have uh, but uh, god wants us to celebrate what we do have and uh, and out of that that thanksgiving uh, it would change uh, the context uh, and the framework of, of everything in our lives to where we could be grateful people, we could be happy people. And so this evening, I want us to look at Psalm 30 because it's a very helpful psalm on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, is in essence, all about remembering, remembering what God has done for us, remembering God's rescue and how he turns everything uh, bad in our lives for our good. And, and we can give him thanks for that. Um, so let's look at Psalm 30, and, and we can separate into three parts. Remembering God's rescue in verses 1 through 5, remembering our dilemma of trouble and sin, verses 6 through 10, and then remembering, uh, remembering God's rescue for all eternity, remembering it as we give praise and thanksgiving to him. Verses 11, 12. So first, Thanksgiving begins by remembering that God rescues and restores us. Like he is the big difference. Here's the big difference between praising and thanksgiving. In a lot of ways, they end up sounding the same. They ascribe glory to God, but for two different reasons. Praise is giving, is primarily, not exclusively, but primarily giving thanks uh, to God for who he is in his character, in his glory, in his holiness, in his godness, if you will. Thanksgiving is giving praise to God, ascribing uh, praise to God for what he has done for us. And, and built into the very idea uh, of Thanksgiving is giving thanks for something that we have received, something that he has done for us. So uh, the psalmist is here now giving thanks for what God has done in rescuing him. In rescuing him. And so how does he do that? He praises the Lord for rescuing him from the pit of death, from Sha'ul. Uh, whether it be literal or figurative uh, uh, idea of, of being in the pit, 
right? Look at verse one. I will extol you, O Lord. You have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Uh, and then in verses two to three, David cries for help and, uh, and, and God had brought him up from the depths of Sheol. And he must have been then at the brink of death. I don't know. Maybe, we're not completely sure what it was. Maybe it was uh, the, the pit when he hid in the caves, possibly when he was on the run from Saul. You know, when you go into a cave, it's not very different than going down into a pit. Uh, that it feels like you're all alone in the darkness. It's damp and dank and, uh, and dirty and smelly. So uh, he's taking that experience and um, contextualizing it uh, as a metaphor for his for being on the brink of death and God is is uh, going to raise him up. But another possibility is that um, that those times when he is in the cave and he is in Sheol, that he he literally feels like he is on the brink of death. Um, you know, there's that scene where he's on the run from Saul and then um, Saul is sleeping in the cave, in that same cave, and, and David walks right by him. And, and David's men are like, kill him, kill him right there, you can kill him. And David said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And so he walks by. And then later on, he, you know, I think he, uh, if I remember correctly, he took a, an object from that Saul that was near Saul and he kind of waves it and says, see Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't because you are the Lord's anointed. Uh, David might be referring to being cl- near death or close to death, you know, figuratively or literally. And, uh, and so this makes us think then about the nature of God's providence in our lives, right? I love reading this psalm because uh, it just reminds me of, um, of when I visit folks in the hospital. You know, I, mean, I think maybe some, I visited some of you in the hospital and I visited others who are on the brink of death and I read them this psalm. Uh, when they are feeling like the Lord, um, that they're on the brink of their, uh, on their deathbed. And it reminds us, I think, that whenever we're sick, right, and when we feel like we're on the brink of death, uh, doctors, nurses, modern medicine, they may help us, uh, but ultimately it's God who heals us through medicine, Um and um, and so it's just a reminder that that uh, when we pray and think about you know antibiotics, for example, you know um, you know some I think you know the tendency for modern people is well what people attributed to the human body fighting uh, an infection on its own we attributed it to God and so now we know better and modern medicine and antibiotics you know. Uh, we now we know what what really helps, but um, but God in God's providence He can use medicine uh, as an agent of His healing, right? Who's the one who who gave that uh, gave you know um, the doctors uh, the intellect and the creativity to 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 come up with those antibiotics, right? And it was and if you remember, I'm trying to think through who those doctors were, but. You know, the, the discovery of penicillin was a complete accident. Um, and, you know, did God have no hand in that? Uh, and in all of what we consider modern medicine is built on, um, 
year after year, you know, experiment after experiment, medication after medication, procedure after procedure in God's providence for our good. And so God even works in that way too. So when medications are, are effective, it's God doing the work as well. And so, um, and so when we recover, when we're rescued from what feels like the brink of death, it is a metaphor and an illustration of God's salvation in our lives. And that's what David is talking about here, that God saves us from the disease of sin and death he forgives all our iniquities and heals all our, our diseases, the psalmist says, Psalm 103, verse 3. So we remember God's salvation then, uh, not only because he rescued us from the brink of death, from the pit of Sheol, but also in order that we might praise him. Have you ever thought about that? Like why God rescues you? Uh, he, he, one of the reasons, at the very least, is, to, is so that we might have an opportunity to sing his praises for what he's done for us, and then invite others to do the same. You see, Thanksgiving is meant to be infectious. <laughs> Not, excuse the pun there, but when you know how much the Lord, <laughs> when you know how much the Lord has, has done for you, you cannot contain yourself, or at least you shouldn't. Uh, you have to go and tell the world what God has done. Look at verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Why? Why should these other people praise God? Look at what he says in verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Do you see what, what an amazing summary of God's grace and mercy? It's not just his act of mercy for us, but it is... It, it 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 goes. It's a it's a bigger, it's a bigger thing. It, what it said, what the psalmist is saying is, because God is merciful, He's shown me mercy. He will show you mercy, and therefore you ought to also praise Him. That it's His disposition of mercy and grace that ought to evoke us to praise Him. David is remembering the underlying foundation which is the gracious character of God as the foundation, not only for his own praise, but for, for all of our praise to him. Uh, friends, brothers and sisters, you know, when, when we see God working in someone else's life, maybe sometimes, I don't know, maybe sometimes when we're a little bit um, jealous, uh, maybe we're a little bit envious that God did that for them and not for us, and so we get a little, you know, we get a little... Um, uh, uh, a little self-centered, and we're like, oh, you know, that's great. I'm, I'm glad God does that. And we, we're kind of like little Scrooges there. But, um, but if we're really thankful, if we really knew the character of God, if we really knew how much God loved us and cared for us, all the things that God has promised us and is, is do, already doing for us, then when we see God working in someone else's life, uh, we ought to give as much praise for for what God has done for them as they do for themselves, because at the same time we're also praising God for what He might do and what He will do for us. Um, and so it it ought to be, <laughs> you know, it ought to be a source of praise when when we see God's grace manifested in someone's life. Um, it ought to be something as if, you know, what's the right word? Love one another as, 
as as um, love one another as you have been loved and to treat other people as you would want them to tr- be to treat you and so what that what that means is that in the gospel we identify with others as if we were in their shoes and so when other people uh, praise the Lord for what God has done for them in the midst of their trials. We ought to put ourselves in their shoes and praise, praise the Lord as if He had done it for us too. And that's the that's the foundation of David's call to praise here for everyone else. Uh, that uh, just like me, uh, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy will come in the morning. Not only for me, but also for you. So let's praise Him together. Do you see that? And so, um, uh, so let's move on. This brings us to my second point. Thanksgiving also means not only remembering that God saves us from from uh, from the pit, but it remember it's remembering what God saved us from, from our dilemma, uh, our our disposition of sin, not just of death. Look at verse 6. Beginning in verse 6, David gives us a better picture of his problems. His problems begin with his own sin of pride and presumption. Look at verse 6. As as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Right? David might be remembering when things were going really well. And, and maybe he's thinking about the time when he ascended the throne after all the hardships and trials that he had received at the hands of Saul. Right? I mean, he was on the run. He was persona non grata. He was uh, public enemy number one because Saul saw him as a rival to his power as king. And he even, he even went into the territory of, of his own enemies because to run away from Saul. And after all of these years of being on the run in the wilderness, in the desert, uh, with, his, with his small band of mighty men, um, now he's sitting atop the throne of God with a crown on his head and thinking, ah, oh, look at what I've done, right? He says, in my prosperity, I shall not be moved, right? What he's saying is, is uh, this is it. I've made it. No one's going to remove me. Nothing is going to happen to me. Uh, and so there's some pride here, presumption here. Um, that he's somehow he, you know, his prosperity is something that he has, is entitled to after all that he's suffered. And, and so um, not only did he, not only has that happened, but, but he also kind of contributes to his own prosperity, his own legend, if you will, right? He's the one who danced uh, accompanying the, 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 the ark, um, uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, he's the one who um, gathered uh, an army to, to begin to continue to conquer uh, those territories that Joshua had not conquered. You know, Jer- parts of, of Jerusalem were still under Canaanite control, you know. Um, and, and so he's, you know, his glory is growing and so is his pride. And so Proverbs says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs 16, 18. And it is out of this pride of prosperity and of power, the Lord humbles David. 
He let David stumble and fall. He let him see the folly of thinking that his prosperity was his own doing rather than a gift of God. Look at verse 7. Look at what he says there. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. You think, I think David was remembering the reason why he became uh, uh, on the brink of, his, of death here. Uh, maybe he got sick. Maybe he was vulnerable. Maybe he was close to death. Um, the Lord humbled him as if to say, you're not as strong as you think, David. I am the source of your health and prosperity. And so when he depended on God's favor, he did well. Uh, the mountain of David's kingdom was, was uh, strongly established, but when he was, when he was uh, uh, proud, the Lord hid his favor, hid the favor of his countenance, and the Lord turned his face away. Do you see that in verse 7? Um, so to you, O Lord, I'm oh, sorry, for you made my mountain stand strong, but then you hid your face, and I was dismayed. And here we begin to see a little bit of what it means when the Lord turns his face away. There's a sense of, of, of dereliction, a, a kind of forsakenness, a wrath, if you will, because of that pride. And, um, and you, can, you, give, you have a glimpse into the inner workings of what that feels like. And David gives us a glimpse into that. He was dismayed. And I think maybe that's putting it mildly. Like, I think, that, you know, that's the understatement of this whole song. Like, not only was he dis probably dismayed, he was probably undone. Um, and, you know, I don't know if, you've, if, if you have ever experienced someone whom you are intimately connected to, someone you love deeply, and, and they want nothing to do with you anymore how broken and how lonely and isolating betraying that might feel um you know i still remember times when you know um when friends would you know friends that i thought were my best friends when they don't return my phone calls and ghost me you know on the surface of things i'm like okay i'm I can take it. But deep inside, I'm broken. These are people that I loved and they don't even they don't even return my phone calls. How much more so is that the case maybe not only for our, our best friends, but what if it was our own father? Right? And then we catch a glimpse later on, right? This points us then to the gospel. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, and and how dismayed, how in despair, how undone, how broken Jesus must have experienced when his father forsook him as he bore our sins. Take any uh, forsakenness from your friends or even family and multiply that a million times, the depth of pain and heartache that must have been. And Jesus experienced that for you and for me for you and for me as he bore our sins on the cross. Um, and David, David gives us a preview of that here in this psalm. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to you, 
and to the Lord I plead for mercy, that then comes a turn, a turn in David's life. Now, I want, now I, want to, I want you to look at what David does here. Look at David's strategy in prayer, uh, beginning in those verses, right? Beginning in verse some, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 8 and 9, right? David places his need for mercy, and he ties it to God's own desire for his own glory. Look at verse 9 there, right? So, so he's still pleading for help, Um He's still pleading for for God to rescue him or remembering when he did. And he says, what profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. It's as if David takes God's own character and turns it to his advantage in prayer. And that's exactly how we ought to pray. Now, don't get me wrong. Right? It's not like winning an argument using your, opponent, your opponent's own logic and throwing it back at him, right? As if, you know, um, you know, you're trying to uh, get an aha moment uh, in, uh, against your adversary. No, rather, this is the way God has commanded us to pray for him, pray to him. This is the way that God has revealed his own character and his own nature so that when we pray, we pray for God to glorify himself in, in, in everything, even in our time of need. And this is the power then of God-centered reasoning in prayer and in faith. It's all about God, not about us. See, David is saying this, rescue me not for my glory, not for my good necessarily, but for your glory. That my good is tied to your glory. And so glorify yourself Lord, by helping me. Do you see how, how, how it's, it's not just about, it's not about us, it's about God. So how, and then he, so he says, how can I praise you? This is the, this is basically the logic. How can I praise you if I'm dead? Where's the glory in that, Lord? Rescue me and I will tell of your faithfulness to every generation. See, this is an important lesson for us as we pray. Pray first for God's glory to come and then place our need in the context of that glory. We're hitching our, we're hitching our, our wagon to the glory of God and it will take us, it will take us to places we never thought we could go, to the heights of heaven, to the glory of God. And so we're asking God to glorify himself and in doing that, he will rescue us. See, that's the whole point of, of the Exodus. Do you remember over and over again when Israel, when Israel rebelled against God, when they set up the golden calf, when they murmured and mumbled and grumbled in the, in the wilderness? You know, remember when we had, when we had meat in, in Egypt, when we had herbs, we had food, we had all these things, and here we are in the desert, and all we get is this stuff that, this stuff called manna, and we don't even know what it is. And, and, uh, and then Moses intercedes for the people of God and he, he ties their fate to God's glory. So these are your people that you rescued. And, and wh- where's the glory when all the people are going to laugh, wondering why you rescued them and you, didn't, you, didn't, you, didn't, you let them to die in the wilderness? And because of that, that God-centered logic, right? Uh, God... Vindic- wanted to vindicate his own glory, and so he continued his faithfulness. 
And that's really what God is calling us to do in our prayers. Um, that God's glory is all about, God. God's character is all about his own glory. And tied to that is our good. John Piper, in his, in his little section on desiring God, in a little section entitled Prayer as the Pursuit of God's Glory, he says this, Suppose you are totally paralyzed and can do nothing for yourself but talk. And suppose a strong and reliable friend promised to live with you and do whatever you needed done. How could you glorify your friend if a stranger came to see you? Would you glorify his generosity and strength by trying to get out of bed and carry him? No. You would say, friend, please lift me up. And would you put a pillow behind me so I can look at my guest? And, and would you please put my glasses on for me? And so your visitor would learn from your requests that you are helpless and that your friend is strong and kind. You glorify your friend by needing him and asking him for help and counting on him. And that's, that's really what, what David is showing us here, is that um, we glorify God in our desperation for him. We glorify God in our absolute need for him. We glorify God by asking God to glorify himself and in doing that to help us in our need. Finally, Thanksgiving is not only remembering how God rescues us from our dilemmas, but also remembering them for all eternity uh, with praise. In these last two verses, David takes us back to the beginning. He not only begins with Thanksgiving, but he ends with Thanksgiving. And he reminds us that God rescued him by reversing his fortunes, uh, by turning everything from bad to good, right? Uh, look at verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. The, Lord's res the Lord rescues us by reversing our circumstances. This is what redemption is, turning everything from mourning into dancing, from death to new life. Uh, and and, and it's, it's expressed in what we wear, right? Uh, if we are what we, what we wear, uh, what we see throughout the scriptures is that redemption can be pictured in what we wear when we mourn and what we wear when we rejoice, what we wear at a funeral and what we wear at a wedding. And, and so we celebrate the joys of life by wearing festive clothes of, uh, clothes of gladness and, and, and we mourn the, 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 um, the difficulties of life when we wear funeral clothes. Um, and that's what we see here, that this is the gospel of our redemption as a kind of resurrection. When we are saved from death to life, when we take off our funeral clothes and we put on our clothes of rejoicing. And then David reminds us of why the Lord rescued uh, him in the first place, why he is so thankful to the Lord. Look at verse 12. So that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. See, David literally says, uh, so that my bowels, right, my life from the depths of my soul may sing your praise and not be silent. That's what he's saying here. 
And, uh, and we, we begin to see how the Lord answered David's prayer. David prayed for God to save him because dead men can't worship him, because dust cannot praise him, verse 9. But now that David is saved and rescued, he can, and he can and will give the Lord all the glory that he deserves. He cannot be silent because the Lord rescued him to praise him and to give thanks to him forever. And here then we have a wonderful theology of salvation. That why does God rescue us? Have you ever thought about that? Um, of course, it's by grace, right? That in terms of the causal reason. But what about the consequential reason? What, the result of our salvation? When he rescues us from death to life, he does it to worship him, to praise and give thanksgiving. That he rescued and redeemed Israel from slavery, if you remember, so that he said, uh, 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 Moses gave the reason. He says, let my people go so that they may worship me. That's the reason why he redeemed Israel. And that's the reason why he redeems sinners. And that's the reason why he redeems you and me. Did he redeem us then simply to just go on our lives as if nothing happened? No, he redeems us so that we can praise him. We can give thanks and we can testify and call others to come and praise him as well. And here's the gospel of this psalm. That thanksgiving is by nature, giving thanks not for nothing, but for receiving a gift of salvation from the Lord. And this is what we have in Christ, who took our sins, our death, and curse, and bore them on the cross. That he died for us to take our disease of sin and heal us by his stripes. He suffered the death of silence when the Lord forsook him, though when the Lord turned his face away and he was dismayed. He praised him from all eternity in the communion of the Trinity and the glory of heaven with the angels. And he died and was buried in the dust. He was silent for three days. What profit is there in death? That's the question of the psalm, right? And, and from David's point of view, there is no profit. There's no blessing in his death. But from the point of view of the true David, the son of David, the king of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, there is great profit in his death. There's great blessing because by his death, we receive the forgiveness of sins, life everlasting, adoption and acceptance into God's family. We receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because Jesus died and rose again. Amen. In the gospel, it profited us everything to where we, we who wore the sackcloth of our ashes and sin, we now put on the festive garb of a righteousness that is not our own, clean and white, a festive garb that is reflects uh, the nature of our salvation as a beautiful bride waiting for her bridegroom. Do you see the reversal and rescue of the gospel here? In Jesus, in his death, life, death, and resurrection, he turns our sin into salvation, our death into life, our funeral into a wedding. That though weeping may tarry for the night, 
but our joy, the joy of salvation, the joy of redemption, the joy of salvation comes with the morning. And this is how we ought to uh, pray. This is how we ought to praise and how we ought to live. May we do so. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for this resurrection psalm. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us then to, to praise you. Help us to remember to praise you. Oh, how easy it is to forget all that you've done for us. But Lord, help us to remember that one thing, what you have done for us in Jesus. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.